We're in a series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Methodist, and we're going to talk about an uncomfortable subject today. But before I get to that, I did want to let you know that part of the inspiration for the series was a series of videos that are done by Emmanuel Acho called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And if you're ever looking to learn more and understand more about what's going on in our society around the issue of racism and want to hear some different perspectives, I think that he does a great job of framing things and explaining things uh, in a way that I can get my mind and heart around what's happening. And so uh, it, it will, the conversations will make you uncomfortable. So if you're not ready to be uncomfortable, maybe not go there. But yet, as a Christian, I'm always thinking, I need to hear both sides of everything that's going on. I always think about learning from each other, hearing other people's stories. And I think about James 1.19 that says, let's be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so let's listen to each other. That's an opportunity for you to do that if you choose to do so. Today, we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation about holiness. Now, holiness in itself, the word can make people uncomfortable. Uh, we don't like uh, this idea of holiness, and it comes with a lot of negative baggage when we think about holiness, and hopefully we're going to unpack and explain that some today, and maybe it'll become more comfortable or maybe even more uncomfortable for you today. And I want to say to you that if you're, a Christ, if you're not a Christian and you're joining us, you're listening in with us, we're glad you're here. And we realize that sometimes when in our Christian world, in our Christian worldview, that sometimes our, what we talk about and how we preach and teach and act in the world sometimes is uncomfortable for other people. And some of that is based on some things that we as a church have, have said or done, but sometimes it's also just a lack of understanding of where the church, where Christians are coming from. And I find this often when I'm talking to atheists and agnostics, there's a lot of misconceptions. And I believe there are a lot of misconceptions outside the church and also within the church when it comes to this idea of holiness. Let me give you an example. So when I was a kid, my brother and I, we were three years apart, we grew, grew up together, and there were times when, as young boys, my mom would take us shopping. And we would, there were some stores that we would go to that had items in it, like home decor items and stores like that, and she would take us into those stores, and there were some fragile items in there. And so before we even set foot through the door of the store, my mom would look us both in the eye, and she'd say to us, all right, we're going to this store, there's stuff in here don't touch anything. And I remember that conversation. I'm sure you've heard had a similar conversation with your parents. Don't touch anything. Don't go near anything. Because if you break something, you're going to have to buy it. And so we kind of go into the store like, ooh, we can't touch anything, right? And so we're, we walk around and we tiptoe around the store and we're, we really want to touch stuff. We want to engage stuff. We want to encounter things. But our mom told us, don't touch anything, right? And so I think a lot of times we have this view of holiness, that holiness is this message, don't touch anything, right? Just, it, it's too, the things of God are too fragile, or we're too fragile to, to, to touch anything. And so we kind of withdraw, and we tiptoe around. And a lot of times in the church, what happens to us when we're tiptoeing and, try and, and see fragility in our own faith, or fragility in this idea of holiness, what happens is we begin to then fall into what we call image management or sin management. And we try and present ourselves to the world as holy, even though we're really struggling with things. We don't have it all together. But we're tiptoeing around, kind of managing what other people think and see about us when it become as a Christian. Rather than, as we say in our church, living honestly. That's one of our core practices here, and to be authentic and to live honestly. And that's hard to do, isn't it, at times? Especially if you have a view of holiness that may be like this. So 
we're going to unpack this idea of holiness. Now, this series and also this idea of holiness is actually building upon another sermon we, we talked about two weeks ago. We talked about the three types of graces in the Methodist understanding, in the Wesleyan understanding theologically, of these three graces. And these three graces inform this series. So let's just review a little bit about what those graces are. We've got, first of all, what's called prevenient grace. That's the grace that prepares us and gets us ready. Then there's the grace that justifying grace or the grace that grows us. And then there is sanctifying grace, the grace that actually makes us holy. And so these three uh, options are out there for us. So the best way and the simplest way to understand this prepares us, changes us, grows us. Last time we talked about the prepares us grace and the grace that changes us. And we talked about this idea of salvation, which is this justifying grace, the moment of salvation when we encounter the grace of God, that some things change in us when that happens. So just a reminder from the last time we talked about this, what changes in us? First of all, number one, we are freed from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. That's the first thing that happens. So we're freedom. We experience freedom. And number two, we're given a new identity as a child of God and a new desire to please God, which is this engagement in becoming holy. We want to please God. We want to be holy because God is holy and reflect God's holiness and reflect the image of God within us to other people. And so this begins, this process begins at that moment of change when we encounter God's grace for ourselves. So, and it's interesting because what we, we often have these negative assumptions or misconceptions about this idea of holiness. But notice how Peter, what first Peter said, Courtney did a great job reading for us, but let's go back to the end of that, that section. It said this, like newborn babies <clears throat> crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up, that's sanctification, grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love this framing from Peter because he's saying, this is a good thing, right? You've tasted the Lord is good, you've tasted God's grace, and God's grace working in your life in this process, helping you and I to grow up in our salvation, grow up and become more like Christ, to become holy is a good thing. It's good. It's not a negative thing. And oftentimes we view it negatively because maybe we have some different understandings about what holiness is. So we're talking about sanctification or the process by which God works with us to help us to become God's people, God's children. So what is this holiness we're talking about? What is this? So if, especially if you've never heard this term before, or haven't been in a church your whole life, you may be going, what, what's holiness, right? Well, the word here comes from the original language in the Greek, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, and here the word that the Greek word that's used by Peter is hagios or agios, which means set apart or different. So a temple in the first century would be holy because it was different than any other building around it. So it was set apart for the purposes of God, for the worship of God, and so therefore it was different, right? And so you and I are to be different in holiness than the rest of the world. And a lot of times what happens though when we do become different and change because of that, the world will look at us strangely, right? They'll look at us and, and not understand us. And so that's just part of being holy is that there will be times when we're going to act differently, be different than the world around us, and people won't be able to understand why we are different. And that's part of what our role is of sharing uh, Christ with others. But one way I think that we've missed this 
concept, and we've misapplied this concept of holiness. Actually, it was reminded uh, by uh, uh, Miriam Swanson preached a sermon called Holiness. You can Google it and find it online. It's a great sermon, about an hour long. And in it, she uses this analogy or this illustration of holiness. And it's a good illustration. And uh, she talks about this idea, and she actually borrows it from another preacher. By the way, we preachers, we just borrow ideas from each other. Nothing's copyrighted, so we borrow ideas. But I'm bar- you know, borrowing this from, from Miriam Swanson. And so she talks about this idea that we look at holiness as like wearing white skinny jeans. White skinny jeans. Now, I, some, of my, some of the fashionistas around here in our church this morning already heard this illustration. They said, you know, well, those white skinny jeans are out. I don't know that. I don't know that because I don't wear white skinny jeans. In fact, I was, if I were going to wear white skinny jeans, it would probably be white relaxed fit jeans, you know. And uh, so that's just where I am. You're not going to catch me in some white skinny jeans. But when you're wearing white jeans or a white shirt, I could relate to that, or, or think about white carpet in your house, right? But when you're wearing white skinny jeans, there are places that you don't go. There are places you don't sit. There are people you don't go around. Like, you don't go and use a felt-tip pen when you're wearing white skinny jeans. Or you don't go sit on a park bench in the, in the city somewhere or in the park because it's going to be dirty. You don't sit down because it's going to get your pants dirty. You don't go around toddlers that are eating Cheetos because as soon as they run up to you, you're going to get Cheeto handprints on your white skinny jeans. So there are people, places, situations that you don't go. In fact, you avoid those places, right? You avoid certain people, you avoid certain situations because you're trying to keep your skinny jeans like that, right? So this is actually very much how the Pharisees in the New Testament, Pharisees are a group of religious leaders in the New Testament, how they viewed holiness. They wanted to keep themselves clean and pure, right? And so they walked through life like, hey, look at my holiness, look at how my skinny jeans, but don't come near me and certainly don't touch me because you will make me unclean, right? And so what they did was they went through life, tiptoeing through life, trying to keep their white skinny jeans from getting tainted by the world and the people around them, right? So that's how they approach holiness. Sometimes in the church, that's how we approach holiness, right? We think that we don't touch, you know, don't touch anything type of idea. Now, what did Jesus do? Now, Jesus came, and when Jesus was on the planet, he was holy, right? I mean, if all of humanity, the one person that is the, the holiest of holies, right, is Jesus himself. So the holiest person to ever live on the planet came to us, and what did Jesus do? Did he avoid other people that were different than him? Did he not touch people? Didn't he touch lepers? Didn't he lay hands on a demoniac in a graveyard among a herd of pigs? Not kosher for a Jewish rabbi to do that. Didn't he have conversations with sinners and, t- and meals with sinners and tax collectors? Didn't he have conversations with Samaritans and tell stories about Samaritans who were, in a sense, the enemy of the Jewish people at that time and culturally? So what we see that when Jesus is on the planet, he's not worried about getting dirty. He's not worried about getting his holiness messed up, right? He's not worried about that at all. In fact, he's going and bringing his holiness and the presence of God with him wherever he goes. And that's because the difference between wearing skinny jeans is that holiness, maybe holiness, Miriam Swanson says, is the bleach itself, the agent 
that makes things holy. Jesus was the agent of holiness. And so if we're to be the agent, what if we're to be the agents of holiness and to go to places that need God's presence, right? Because wherever God is, there is holiness, right? Wherever God's presence is, God's holiness is showing up. And so what would it look like if we started to look at holiness that way? Miriam Swanson says it this way. She says, holiness is not separation, but infiltration. Not separation, but infiltration. What would it look like for us to infiltrate the world? What would it look like for us, instead of tiptoeing around, afraid that our salvation is so fragile that we'll lose it if we touch or get tainted by other people? What if we actually saw the power of holiness and the power of God's presence in all our relationships, in all situations in our life, and we, the world was actually afraid of us because they would say, hey, here come God's people, right? What if they were afraid when God's people showed up rather than us being afraid of being tainted by the world around us? You see, holiness is not about separating ourselves off from the world and from what God wants to do in the world or what God wants to see happen in people's lives. It is actually to get out into the world, to be in the world, not of the world, but get into the world with God's presence and be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around us. So how do we get to that type of holiness, right? How do we get, uh, get rid of this, some of these misconceptions of negative assumptions about holiness? And how do we grab onto this kind of what I, we would call this missional holiness, right? This holiness that sends us, right? Like Isaiah chapter 6. So the first thing that needs to happen within us, and the very first thing that needs to happen for every Christian, is the thing that happens at salvation, and that is we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, growth will naturally happen. Because a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're trying to do it and figure it out on our, on our own without the help of God. And this is why the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit, right? You know, it's God's Spirit that works with us to help us become holy, right? So that's why we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the one who comes alongside of us to help us with this. So God didn't leave us alone in the world. God gave us this holy, the Holy Spirit to help us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I remember I became a Christian. Uh, I experienced God's grace and salvation for myself when I was a senior in high school. And I went off to college. I went off to the University of Maryland. And it was a party school. You know, it was a, it was a fun time. You know, I remember those first two years of college just having a good time like a lot of college students do. And just living my life and experiencing new freedom from my parents and doing what I wanted to do. And sometimes they weren't always holy things in my estimate, right? So there were times, though, when I was in that two-year period where the, the Holy Spirit was actually speaking to me. Like I could, the Holy Spirit was witnessing to my spirit, was saying, hey, Matt, you, remember, you're a child of God. You, you're, you're one of God's children. And and, you know, you're called to be different than the rest of the world or every other college student around you. And I thought, yeah, 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 whatever. And I would ignore or not respond to the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I could do that. You and I can either cooperate with the voice of the Holy Spirit or we can neglect the voice of the Holy Spirit. So there were times where I would hear the Spirit speaking to my spirit, but I would not listen to the Spirit. Anybody do that? Anybody ever hear somebody say something but not really listen to what they're saying? Yeah, I, I do that as well. So there are times when we do that. So we need to know 
when the Holy Spirit's voice is speaking to us. And there are ways that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. So just as a reminder, if you didn't know, here are some ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us. First of all, the Holy Spirit speaks through the Bible. When we read the scriptures, when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through those scriptures and, and helping us in this process. And so we actually see that, and Peter talks about this in verse 23. He said this, For you have been born again, that's salvation, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, that means that's not going to go away, through the living and enduring word of God. You hear that? So this Holy Spirit is working, this salvation is working through the living and enduring word of God, coming through the scripture. Second Peter also has this idea that the Holy Spirit, the authors of the Bible were moved by the Holy Spirit to write down the things that are in the Bible. So the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit as we read and engage the Bible, as we listen to sermons, as we worship together in church, as we go to small groups or Bible studies. That's a way for us to listen to the Holy Spirit and hear from the Holy Spirit. The other, thing, other way is the Holy Spirit sometimes speaks directly to our spirits, just as I described in college. Romans, we looked at Romans 8 a couple weeks ago, and we saw in that that God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, right? The Spirit speaks to our spirit saying, hey, you're a child of God. Remember, you're a child of God. Live out the image of God, right? And so the Holy Spirit can speak directly to us. And then the other thing, other place the Holy Spirit speaks is sometimes through other people. Sometimes other people come, and because they have the Holy Spirit working in them, they're sharing things with us that are also speaking to our spirits. And so the Holy Spirit sometimes speaks to other people. And even if you look at Numbers 22, there are some times when the Holy Spirit actually speaks through animals like a donkey. And that story of Balaam in the Old Testament, that a donkey had to speak to Balaam. And so that tells us that even doesn't matter that God can speak to us in a variety of ways through the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind. So are we listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? And are we, that means are we cooperating because that's how this process will work or not work for us. Now, I want to invite you to give some invitations today to the Holy Spirit in your life. So I want to ask you to give four invitations to the Holy Spirit, to listen to the Holy Spirit in these four areas of our lives. So here are the four invitations to the Holy Spirit. The first one is to our spiritual life. Give an invitation to the Holy Spirit to come into your soul, to come into your spiritual life, so that your soul will hear that message that you are a child of God, you are created in the image of God, and we are called, it will call out that image of God within us and this holiness process within us. Number two, invite God into your relationships, right? Invite Holy Spirit into your relationships because there are times when we're having, relationships can be difficult, right? They can be hard. And there are times when I enter into conversations and difficult conversations and I have to say, Holy Spirit, come into my life before I enter in this conversation or engage with this person. I need your help because if it's just Matt showing up, this isn't going to go well. I need the Holy Spirit to show up with me. I need the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is peace, patience, love, kindness, self-control, gentleness, right? The, and love, right? And so I need to show up with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and, the, and, and really the Holy Spirit working through me. And I have to surrender and listen and cooperate to, that, to the Holy Spirit in those relationships. Number three, give an invitation to invite the Holy Spirit into your lifestyle, your behavior, your attitudes, and how you reflect the image of God in your life through your lifestyle. 
So what would that look like to invite the Holy Spirit to speak into your lifestyle and say, how am I to be living differently than everybody else around me, right? For example, am I supposed to spend money differently than the rest of the world? Yeah, probably. That, what does the Holy Spirit have to say about that? Number four, mission. I think this is one of the most important invitations we can give for those of us who are Christians. The mission is to be sent by God into an unholy world, right? That God wants to send God's people, the children of God, the, the, those who are creating the image of God and living out that image into this broken world. That's to be on mission. And here's what I think personally is happening when we're on mission. When we're, we're on mission in the world, when we're sent by God and engaging the world and infiltrating rather than separating, we actually engage in the sanctification process for ourselves. It will engage this process of holiness for us. Because if we're, again, separated off and just around people that think like us and talk like us and into our what we call holy huddles, how we can grow some, but we won't grow exponentially the way that God will grow us when we're on mission. And that's the nature of how God forms us. We actually have to engage in mission. We actually see that in the story of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah, uh, before he becomes a prophet, has this vision of God on the throne, and all the angels are flying around the throne and worshiping God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the vision that Isaiah has of God. And the first response of Isaiah to that vision is this, woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips, right? He recognizes his unholiness. He recognizes that he is not holy, that God is holy, and that he's not. And he is saying, woe is me, is extremely humbled by the presence of God, right? And so, and, and God recognizes that, recognizes his humility, recognizes his woe is me feeling, and offers him forgiveness and, and forgives him right, for his unholiness. And then the message comes like, hey, we need to get this message of God's holiness and, and, and God to the people around here. Who can go for us, was the question. And Isaiah says, send me. Notice what happens in this encounter with God's holiness. What happens to Isaiah when he encounters God's holiness is this. He goes from, woe is me, forgiven, salvation, to send me. And it's in that process of being sent that we become holy people. Until we engage that, we are going to be stunted in our growth as Christians. Right? So how do we move from woe is me to send me as Christians? Now I want to pause here and just take a pause and just speak to the church itself at this moment. And they encourage us as a church. And I want to ask two questions. And I want to put this in the context of thinking about this, to remember, remind ourselves that we all experience God's salvation. All of us are, have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ. And we've entered in this process of becoming holy. And all of us are at different places in that process. So for example, if we were running a marathon, some of us are at mile 20, and some of us are just starting out, right? And so, but those of us who are at mile 20 or further in the process, we forget what mile one was like, you know, when we first encountered God's presence, right? God's holiness. 
And we're in this process. And, and we're to give each other grace in that process and to not expect everybody to be where we're at. So here's the first question. Are each of us in a state of perfect holiness? Are you in a state of perfect holiness? Am I in a state of perfect holiness? Because I think sometimes as the church, we expect everybody to come perfectly holy and to be perfectly holy, right? And that's not realistic. We, we can't expect somebody at mile, tw- mile one to be at the same place as somebody at mile 20 in the marathon. There are two different places. And everybody's starting this process at different times in their lives. So expecting people to be holier than they really are is an unrealistic expectation. And also, here's the thing. I don't fix people. I don't change people. I don't make people holy. You don't make people. We don't make each other holy. The Holy Spirit does that work. I don't do that work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And expecting someone to be holier than they're ready to be holy is not realistic for us. So if you think that you've arrived, and some of us in the Wesleyan tradition believe in this idea of entire sanctification, uh, holiness, which really is more about love for God and love for others than about you know, tiptoeing beats, wearing skype, tight skinny jeans. That's not what that means, entire sanctification. Entire, entire sanctification means loving, fully loving God and fully loving others in a way that is engaging the world around us because we have the love of God with us. But if you're there, would you, if you feel like you're, you, you're, you're farther along in the process of holiness or, or entirely there, would you extend grace to others around you? Would, would you encourage them and support them and come alongside them? You know, if you, if you finished a marathon, one of the things you do when you finish a marathon is you go back and you cheer other people on as they're still in the race. And I think, wouldn't it be great if the church were a place where we cheered each other on in this process of holiness and realized that not everybody's at the same place, but offer grace, offer encouragement, come alongside one another in this journey together. Now, the second question is this. The second question is, are we in need of support and encouragement and accountability in the process? My personal answer to that question is yes. I need support, encouragement, and accountability in this process. I think most people are saying yes to that question. That we realize, like Isaiah, there are places in our lives we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to fully form us and mature us into Christ. And we need others around us in community to support us, to encourage us, to cheer us on when we fall down and get us back up and get us moving in the right direction. And I think most of us are there. We need to be a community of grace that extends grace to one another and encourages one another in this process. Because policing people and trying to fix people and trying to expect them to be somewhere that they're not is not helpful to them. It just discourages them in this process with God. So encourage you to be an encourager of God and God's holiness. So with that in mind, keep in mind that what is the result? What did Peter say is the result of holiness? Did you hear it? 1 Peter 1.22 says this, now that you've purified yourselves, that's holiness, by obeying the truth, listening to God, listening to the Holy Spirit, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. That the result of holiness is deep love for one another and for the others around us. Love for God and love for others around us. Notice it all goes back to that, right? So that the result of holiness is love. 
not tiptoeing around saying, don't touch. That's not the point of holiness. The point of holiness is to love like God loves us. You know, I had a holy moment many years ago when I was uh, out on the streets of a city. Uh, I've told you some of those stories before. Very formative for me as I was out on mission with a friend of mine, Brian. We were out in the streets, ministering the streets, meeting needs in the street of a city, a very impoverished part of the city. And we were coming back from ministering uh, late at night one night, and we're walking back to the ministry center. And as we're walking back to the ministry center, we walk by uh, what we would call then a gay bar. It was a bar for same-sex attract, mostly same-sex attracted women. And as we're walking by the bar, there are two women out front, and they're arguing very loudly on the street, in the street and on the sidewalk. And we are just, you know, just kind of being, uh, walking by. But I remember engaging this, and I just said to them, you know, kind of make, trying to kind of let them know that, other people are listening and realizing what's going on, but also saying, hey, you guys okay? Is everything okay? And so I, as we walk by, it's like, hey, you guys, you guys doing all right? You, everything all right here? And in the middle of the argument, and then the one young woman turned to me, and she just started vomiting all these angry frustrations out. Turns out this other person was their roommate, and they were having roommate issues, and they were arguing about something going on in the, in the apartment. And uh, so she starts to just lay it. She just starts to vent, you know, all the frustration, all the anger. And so I step back and listen. I ask some questions. I go into pastoral counseling mode. And, uh, you know, we're talking with both of them and trying to understand the situation and offer a little bit of counsel or advice here and there. But as we listen and as we talk with them, you can start to see the whole frustration, all the anger just start to de-escalate. The whole situation begins to de-escalate as they share their hearts with us. And just what, what amazes me is that here we are total strangers, and they're just sharing every little detail, right, about everything going on in their lives. And they were just totally themselves, authentically themselves, and that was great. And so things start to de-escalate, and, and they, get, they calm down, and then they're starting to, you know, say, I'm sorry, and, and, and apologize to one another. And so this is a great moment. And I said, you know, I said, I'm a pastor. I'd love to pray with you both. Would you like us to pray with you? And the one young woman, uh, and so I Actually, I reached out with both my hands like this, and Brian's on the other side, and we reach out to join hands to pray with them. And the one young woman grabs my hand and said, yes, we would, I would love that. That would be so great. And the other person over here who was turned out was not a woman, was actually a man, stepped away from us. And he said to me, I can't pray with you all. And I looked at him, I said, well, it's okay. I mean, lightning's not going to strike. You know, nothing like that's going to ha- bad's going to happen. We just want to pray with you. Just want to invite God into your, to our lives and into this moment. And he says, "You don't understand. I can't pray with you." He says, "I'm gay." And I thought to myself, "Who told you that? Like, who? Where did that come from?" Right? And he had this reaction. I remember being taken back by his reaction, and I remember that's he. Somebody said when it to him when it comes to. I would like to pray with you all, if that is okay. So if you would pray with me. He got the message that he couldn't touch God. And I said to him, I said, it's okay. I said, God wants to be a part of your life. God wants to be a part of you, what's going on here. We just want to invite God in God's presence into our lives. We're, we will welcome you to pray with us. And he looked at me and he's like, okay, cool. And then he just jumped right in, right? 
And I'll never, remember, never forget that moment when the four of us, he met a pastor, street worker, two people standing out in front of a gay bar in the middle of the night, in a dark night, praying to God and inviting God into our lives. That was a holy moment. It wasn't holy because I was there. It wasn't holy because they were there. It was holy because God's presence was there in the form of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows up in some of this, to us, what the church seemed like the strangest places, right? But the Holy Spirit shows up anywhere because the Holy Spirit is not a separator. The Holy Spirit is an infiltrator. So I want to invite us to pray, a little guided prayer this morning as we wrap up. And the prayer is a simple prayer. I want to teach you this prayer. I want to invite you to pray this prayer. We're going to pray this prayer right now. But I want to teach you this prayer, and I want you to encourage you to use this prayer in all of your lives, in all different areas of your life, in your relationships, in your life, in your home life, uh, in your soul. I hope you pray this prayer. In your mission, wherever God is sending you, you pray this prayer. And it's a prayer for awakening. It's a prayer actually for revival for us. And it's this simple prayer, come Holy Spirit, come, to just pray this prayer, come Holy Spirit, come. So I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer over some areas of your life today. So let's be in a spirit of prayer together. And if you're with some other people and you're comfortable, why don't you join hands right where you're at and just circle up and pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. So we pray. Let's pray together.